This episode of the Daily 202 Podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we've taken critical steps to prepare for the U.S. elections. We've more than tripled our safety and security teams, implemented five-step ad verification, and launched a new voting information center. Learn more at facebook.com slash about slash elections. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is the Daily 202 for Thursday, August 27th. In today's news, a 17-year-old is charged with homicide after two people are killed by gunfire during protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Laura makes landfall as a Category 4 hurricane. And the controversial change in CDC testing guidelines was directed by the White House Task Force. But first, the big idea. Today is the fourth anniversary of the first time that then-NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick kneeled during the national anthem to protest racial injustice. He was an outlier back then. He was marginalized. It derailed his playing career. But the world has changed dramatically since 2016 in so many ways. More and more, prominent athletes have come to see it as their duty to raise societal awareness of police brutality and injustice. As they have become more emboldened and more fans have gotten on board, Leagues are finding ways to accommodate their views. And then last night arrived. It will forever be remembered as a seminal moment in the history of sports. The NBA's restart has been going smoothly. They've been playing inside a restricted bubble at Disney World. Amazingly, for more than a month, they've not had a single positive coronavirus test. But the season came to a screeching halt last night when the Milwaukee Bucks refused to take the court for a playoff game against the Orlando Magic in order to protest the police shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. The league announced the cancellation of all three games scheduled for Wednesday as a result, and a meeting of NBA players late into the night cast doubt on whether the postseason will continue at all. The unprecedented decision to postpone the games was quickly followed by a similar decision by the WNBA and then every other major professional sport but hockey. In Milwaukee, the Brewers announced that they would not play their Major League Baseball game last night against the Cincinnati Reds, the Seattle Mariners game against the San Diego Padres, and the Los Angeles Dodgers' game against the San Francisco Giants also were postponed. Our NBA beat reporter, Ben Golliver, has been inside the NBA bubble, and he relays from Florida that tensions inside the bubble have been mounting over the last three days with players and coaches outraged by the video of Blake getting shot in the back in Wisconsin. Black Lives Matter has been painted in bold letters on all the courts, and players are wearing words and phrases calling for social justice on the backs of their jerseys. But the sentiment has pivoted since the Blake video came out to anger and despair. Lakers forward LeBron James issued a powerful post-game statement on Monday saying, Quite frankly, it's just messed up in our community. Except he used another word for messed up that starts with the letter F. LeBron's remarks were followed on Tuesday by Clippers coach Doc Rivers, who said, quote, It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. Ben reports that the Bucks' decision not to play in Game 5 of their first-round series caught league and team staffers by surprise. The players who were dressed in their game uniforms as if they'd arrived in the arena, ready to go, 
remained inside their locker room with their coaches, the general manager, and other team personnel for more than three hours before emerging to issue an emotional team statement demanding justice for Blake from Wisconsin politicians. Amazingly, Wisconsin Attorney General Josh Call, a Democrat, actually called into the locker room and was put on speakerphone to talk with the Bucks players during that three-hour window. He explained to them how the Wisconsin criminal justice process works. His agency is investigating Blake's shooting. The National Basketball Players Association then held a meeting a few hours later to discuss next steps, including whether to play at all or to cancel the balance of the postseason, which is scheduled to run through mid-October. Coaches were invited to the first part of the meeting, which was held in a Disney World ballroom before the players then met among themselves. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers, two of basketball's top contenders, voted against finishing the postseason during the meeting, according to The Athletic. We've confirmed it. But a majority of the teams present voted to continue. A lot of people who aren't in the Midwest don't realize just how Milwaukee remains one of the most racially segregated cities in America. If you want to know more about that, I recommended the book Evicted by Princeton professor Matthew Desmond. And even NBA players in Wisconsin have not been immune from racism. The Bucks franchise, in particular, has had multiple incidents with police brutality and racial profiling over the years. Bucks guard Sterling Brown sued the city of Milwaukee after he was injured during an altercation with police. Former Senator John Henson spoke out publicly after he was denied service by a Milwaukee jeweler. He says they wouldn't serve him because he was black. A group of Bucks players turned out in mass for a July protest in Milwaukee wearing t-shirts that bore some of George Floyd's last words. I can't breathe. After the team's decision last night, Milwaukee's other pro team followed the Bucks' lead. The Brewers, who like the Bucks, played not that far from Kenosha, decided they just couldn't play their game against the Reds. And the Reds of Cincinnati agreed to sit out. Brewers outfielder Ryan Braun told reporters that what the Bucks did inspired them. And in San Diego, the Mariners, who have more black players than any other team in that sport, voted unanimously to sit out their game against the Padres, according to outfielder D. Gordon. Later, the Giants and the Dodgers elected not to play. Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts, one of the game's brightest stars, recently traded from Boston, said he would not have played had the game taken place. In contrast to teams who played on while black players sat out, pitcher Clayton Kershaw said the Dodgers decided if Betts chose not to play, they would follow his lead. Betts said afterwards that he will always remember this day, and he'll always remember his new team having his back. And the Detroit Lions in the NFL canceled practice, and players addressed reporters huddled around a whiteboard where they had written in block letters, quote, The world can not go on. All but one of the six Major League Soccer matches were also postponed after one or both teams declined to play. And Naomi Osaka, a two-time Grand Slam tennis champion, announced that she would refuse to play in her semifinal match in the Western and Southern Open in New York. It's a U.S. Open tune-up. Her announcement came a few hours after she won her quarterfinal. In response, the sports organizers halted all play in professional tennis until Friday. Why did they do that? Because Osaka's announcement comes with heft. The 22-year-old is the highest-paid female athlete in the world, 
She brought in more than $37 million last year in prize money and endorsements. She explained on Twitter that she doesn't expect anything drastic to happen because she's not playing a game of tennis. But, quote, if I can get a conversation started in a majority white sport, I consider that a step in the right direction. She added, quote, watching the continued genocide of black people at the hands of the police is honestly making me sick to my stomach. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, authorities yesterday said a 17-year-old has been charged with homicide after two people were killed and another seriously wounded by gunfire amid a chaotic night of demonstrations and destruction in Kenosha unleashed by the weekend police shooting of Jacob Blake. Police in Antioch, Illinois, which is about 20 miles southwest of Kenosha, just across the border, said they arrested Kyle Rittenhouse in the killings. The Antioch resident was charged with first-degree intentional homicide, though authorities did not specify whether he was being charged in one or both of the fatal shootings. The shooting came as self-declared militia members and armed counter-protesters have descended on the city, which is reeling from days of unrest. Some wield AR-15-style rifles. They took position near stores and businesses, saying they intended to fill a vacuum left by law enforcement. Cell phone video from before Tuesday night's shooting showed police officers thanking armed civilians for being out on the streets after curfew and handing them bottles of water. My colleagues Mark Guarino, Mark Berman, Jacqueline Pizer, and Griff Whitty report that Rittenhouse's social media feed contains messages supporting the police and photos of himself with assault rifles. Rittenhouse was in the front row of President Trump's rally in Iowa in January on the eve of the caucuses. He posted a TikTok video of himself from that event. Footage of the rally shows him just feet away from the president, in the front row to the left of the podium. Blake's shooting has led to mass demonstrations, not just in Kenosha, but across the country. The Wisconsin Department of Justice identified Blake's shooter as Rustin Shesky, a seven-year veteran of the police department. Kenosha Police Chief Daniel Miskinis told the media that the three officers at the scene have been placed on leave during the investigation. The Wisconsin Department of Justice said that a knife was found in Blake's car after he was shot. The agency did not say if any of the officers at the scene saw the knife or knew it was there. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers has deployed 500 National Guard troops to restore order in Kenosha. During the Republican convention last night, none of the speakers specifically addressed the shooting of Blake, but several speakers portrayed the looting and violence as a dire threat to the republic itself. And they accused Democratic officials in cities across the country of failing to restore order. Vice President Pence said in his speech that the Trump administration supports both the black community and the police departments that have come under increasing scrutiny for how they patrol communities of color. He said the American people know we don't have to choose between supporting law enforcement and standing with our African-American neighbors to improve the quality of their lives, education, jobs, and safety. He said Trump will, quote, keep supporting law enforcement and keep supporting our African-American and minority communities across this land for four more years. Number two. Just after 1 a.m. this morning, Hurricane Laura made landfall near Cameron, Louisiana, about 35 miles east of the Texas border. The storm, which leaped from a Category 1 on Tuesday to a high-end Category 4 on Wednesday night, packed 150-mile-per-hour peak winds when it crossed the coast. 
Laura struck near high tide and is predicted to inundate coastal areas of western Louisiana to the Texas border in up to 15 to 20 feet of water. 15 to 20 feet of water. That's perhaps the largest storm surge on the Gulf Coast since Hurricane Katrina in 2005. The storm leveled off in intensity just 7 miles per hour shy of becoming a Category 5. The biggest potential killer and the biggest story in this storm will be that surge, given the topography of the area the storm's hitting in Louisiana. The National Hurricane Center says a surge this size causes life-threatening inundations. They are urging residents to treat the extreme winds like tornadoes. And indeed, heavy thunderstorms embedded within Laura's core may spawn tornadoes. Several tornado warnings are active in southern Louisiana. The surge threat prompted a mandatory evacuation for Lake Charles, which is in Louisiana, where much of the city of 78,000 may flood. Governor John Bell Edwards announced that he's activated the entire Louisiana National Guard to help with the response. My colleagues Andrew Friedman, Jason Samenow, and Derek Hawkins report that Laura is the strongest storm on record to make landfall in southwest Louisiana. Indeed, it's the lone Category 4 storm to ever do it. These peak winds of 150 miles an hour also make it rank among the top 10 hurricanes ever to make landfall in the continental United States. As the hurricane continues to move north along Louisiana's western border and into Arkansas, its wind speeds will slow. But heavy rains and strong gusts still threaten to cause damage, serious damage, today and tomorrow. And officials say that at least 150 people refused to leave their homes in Cameron Parish, where the hurricane made landfall. Those who decided to wait out the storm will be forced to retreat to their top floors and attics. State officials suggested that folks who refuse to leave should bring tools, like axes, to the space where they may be trapped by flooding if they want to live. Number three, the new CDC guidance on coronavirus testing that was posted this week on its website without any public announcement replaces advice that everyone who has been in close contact with an infected person should get tested to find out whether they contracted the virus. Instead, the guidance says those without symptoms, quote, do not necessarily need a test. The revised guidelines come as Trump has feuded with and pressured the CDC and the FDA, which are both part of the Department of Health and Human Services. Amy Goldstein and Lena Sun report that Brett Girard, an assistant HHS secretary who oversees testing, told reporters that he and CDC director Bob Redfield, they're both Trump appointees, discussed the idea with all of the physicians on the White House task force, including Tony Fauci and Scott Atlas, a new member who comes from the Hoover Institution and has a lot of juice with Trump right now. Girard said, quote, all the docs signed off on this. He said the task force debated the change for a month and voted to approve it on Thursday. But Fauci, who is the government's top infectious disease expert, responded by issuing a statement that said this is not true. Fauci said the decision to change the testing guidelines was made while he was in surgery. In an interview with CNN, Fauci said he was under general anesthesia in the operating room on Thursday and was not part of any discussion or deliberation regarding the new testing recommendations. Fauci added that he's concerned about the interpretation of these recommendations and worries that it will give people the incorrect assumption that asymptomatic spread is not of great concern when, in fact, it is. And at least three Democratic governors say their states will not follow the new CDC guidelines, including California's Gavin Newsom, Washington's Jay Inslee, and New York's Andrew Cuomo. Cuomo said, if you have been exposed to a confirmed case, get tested. He called the administration's change 
indefensible. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, August 27th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. This episode of the Daily 202 podcast is brought to you by Facebook. At Facebook, we've taken critical steps to prepare for the U.S. elections. We've more than tripled our safety and security teams, implemented five-step ad verification, and launched a new voting information center. Learn more at facebook.com slash about slash elections.